0: The following sermon is presented by Maranatha Bible Church of Comstock Park, Michigan. For more information, go to mbcmi.org. The past, as I said, we were going through Romans. In the past three or four, three weeks, I believe, we've been going through a series on the one and others. And we're looking at relationships in the body of Christ. That's the series that we're looking at right now. And today we're going to continue with that, and we'll be looking at Galatians chapter 5. We'll be dealing with a, a, a one another that's not a do this, but do not do this. The one another is do not bite and devour one another, from Galatians chapter 5. Now, to make sure that we keep this in context, we'll be looking at chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. And the title of the message, if I had to title of this message, I would name it Stop the Feeding Frenzy. This is a, a biblical look at dealing with conflict within the church. So Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26 is what we'll be looking at. Now, every one of us in this room, plus everyone who's watching, has dealt with conflict in their life at some level, whether it be in the workplace, in the public square, at home, or yes, even at church. We've all had to deal with conflict, and that conflict comes in different levels. It could be something as small as your son or daughter doesn't want to eat what you made for dinner. They don't like mashed potatoes. They don't like corn. Well, that has the potential to cause conflict. So it could be from something that small all the way up to 75 million people dying in a world war. So conflict is ingrained in the human experience. Why is that? Why is conflict so much a part of the human experience? Well, that's one word, sin. More specifically, the sin of self-worship. We exalt ourself rather than God. We're the center of everything. We want to build essentially the kingdom of self rather than the kingdom of God. And this causes conflict. Now, this it should not be a surprise with unbelievers. As we approach unbelievers and we see conflict taking place, it shouldn't be a surprise. They don't, they have no desire to submit to God, to put themselves under the authority of God. They're actually enemies of God. James 4, 4 tells us that those who love the world are make themselves enemies of God. They're at enmity with God. Romans 1 tells us that they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. They're indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So We shouldn't expect that, anything less from unbelievers, than conflict to be taking place. But when it comes to the believer, this should not be taking place. You see, the unbeliever is acting according to their nature. They're by nature children of wrath. That's what Scripture tells us in Ephesians. But the believer has a new nature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are gone. Behold, all things have become new. So the believer has been made alive by God, alive together with Christ. So we need to magnify Christ in our life. We need to put him above everything else, humble ourselves. And when we keep that perspective, when we're keeping God uh, first and foremost, we're submitting to his word. Conflict will come, but even in that conflict, we'll glorify God. And that's what we want. We want to glorify God. And in our text this morning, we're going to look at that. First of all, we're going to see a very specific problem that the author, who is Paul, is pointing out in the book of Galatians here. He's pointing out that there's some verbal assaults that are taking place in the church of Galatia. And then there's, there's fallout that comes from the sinful attitude. He says in Galatians 5.15, but if you bite and devour one another... Take care that you are not consumed by one another. Now, if you listen to that passage, the author, is, he's using some very animalistic language, if you will. Very carnivorous. And that's on purpose. Because he wants us to see how fleshly this behavior is. This, this biting and devouring that's taking place in the church. He doesn't say, stop gossiping and slandering even though that's what he's talking about, he says stop biting and devouring one another. It brings to mind a feeding frenzy. You think of maybe in the desert, you see, maybe you've seen these shows on television where there's a, an injured gazelle, a baby perhaps, and there's all these hyenas circling it. And the hyenas, are, they're barking, and they're growling, and they're running in, and one takes a bite here and then runs back. And the the gazelle is slowly trying to defend itself, but there's nothing it can do. And then another hyena runs in and bites and bites and bites until finally the gazelle just gives up, falls down, it dies, and it's completely consumed by these hyenas. And that's potentially what's going on here in in the church of Galatia. That's what Paul is warning them about. Obviously, it's not physically they're not physically biting people, but they're, they're slandering, backbiting, take, you know, starting these, these arguments. That's what's potentially happening here. And Paul says it's manifest in a few ways. In verse 20 he says it's manifest in enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, and factions. And we'll elaborate on each of those as we go on, but that's what's, what's happening here. And if you notice, all of those things are of the flesh. And Paul tells us that those who practice such things, we'll see, he says this, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So those things are of the flesh. And if you're practicing those things, in other words, if you're doing those on a regular basis without any conviction, without any um, thought, you're just doing these things, that's part of you, you're practicing these things you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You're not a believer. We might say, well, that's not happening here at Maranatha Bible Church. I'm not saying it is happening here, but it could happen here. It could happen anywhere. So how does that happen? Well, it happens when a a careless word is, is said. Sides are being taken. Phone calls are made to bolster one side or the other. Harmful accusations are thrown around. Lines are drawn in the sand, feelings are hurt, angers flare, miscommunication abounds, and before you know it, the church splits. A family leaves here saying harsh words against others in the church. A family leaves there saying harsh words. And the church splits, or worse yet, the church just collapses. And this happened because people wanted their own way see, we do what we do because we want what we want. That's the bottom line. We bite and devour because we want our way. We're living according to the flesh. And that brings about conflict. Now from our text this morning, we'll look at three exhortations from God on how to handle this conflict with other believers so that we're not found to be biting and devouring. We'll see that to keep from biting and devouring one another, we need to, first of all, walk in love. And these are general principles, but we'll get specific. We need to walk in love in verses 13 and 14. We need to walk in the Spirit in verses 15 through 25. And then we need to walk in humility in verse 26. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to read the passage, and then I'll pray, and we'll dig into it. So let's go ahead and read Galatians chapter 5, Verses 13 through 26. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, Disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus... Have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Heavenly Father, as we look into this text, I just pray, Father, that you'd be glorified, that we would truly be desiring to walk by the Spirit, that we wouldn't be biting and devouring as a body of Christ. We thank you for saving us and for giving us a new spirit, for transforming us, making us new creatures, for transferring us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Our Lord, we ask that you would help us to live as who we are, help us to live as the Christians that we say we are. We want to glorify you. We want to honor you. We want to bring good words on you and not deriding comments. Please, Father, help us to walk by the Spirit. We give this message over to you asking that you'd be glorified through it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, now to set the context here a little bit, I know last week uh, Todd was speaking from Galatians, and he set the context a little bit, but I'm going to um, set it a little bit more. What are the circumstances here? What's going on in Galatia? or What's the theme? What's the theme? of this book as as we approach it. The theme of Galatians is essentially it's justification by faith alone. Justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the theme of, of Galatians. And the reason for that is because what was happening here was the Apostle Paul came in and planted this church and he left. And then these individuals known as the Judaizers, they moved in. Now the Judaizers were Jewish Christians who believed that, yes, you were saved by faith in Christ, but then you also had to be circumcised, or you also had to follow these other Jewish customs and traditions. So they were adding to salvation. Essentially, they were saying justification is a works-based event. Works-based salvation was what they were calling for. And Paul was angry with this, because everything that he had taught him was in complete opposition to that. So we see him spending six chapters here in the book of Galatians, dealing with this. And he's using some harsh language. He's not happy. He says in uh, chapter 1, verse 6, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. He's amazed that they're doing this. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, he's even stronger. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He couldn't believe it. In chapter 4, verse 16, he points out the, the fickle nature of these Galatians. He says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? In other words, do you even know the law? And that would be, oh, that would be a harsh attack on these Judaizers because they prided themselves on knowing the law. And he's saying, do you even know the law? And then chapter 4, verse 21, he, tell, he says, tell me. Oh, sorry. That, I'm sorry. Chapter 4, verse 16. He points out, he says, have I become your enemy by telling you the, tr- the truth? So there again, it's, it's strong language Paul is using here. Now, this, ch- this book can be broken down basically into three sections regarding this justification by faith. You can look at the first two chapters, and you see Paul is defending this doctrine personally. Chapters 1 and 2. He defends his ministry and his apostleship, and he does this in order to show them that this message is God's message. It's not my message. It's God's message. He says in verse 8, if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he's to be accursed. So Paul's essentially saying, if you hear something different than what we told you the first time, by anybody, even if an angel comes and tells you this, they're to be accursed because this is the message of God. This justification by grace alone through faith alone, it's God's message. So these Judaizers who are changing it, no, it's not acceptable. So he's defending it personally. And then we see in the next section, chapters 3 and 4, he begins to defend this doctrine theologically. And he points to Abraham. You know, We're told in Scripture that Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So Paul points to Abraham, and he, he talks about Abraham having two sons, Jacob and Ishmael. And he says, these two one was a, the um, son of a slave woman. The other was a slave of a free woman. And he says, the son of the slave woman was cast out. And he says, these Judaizers ought to be cast out from among you. So he's, he's pointing out this, the theological, he's theologically defending this justification by faith alone. And then in the final section, in our section from chapter 5 to 6, he begins to defend it practically. And we see that all the time in Paul's books, don't we? He starts out, With an introduction, he deals with theological issues, and then he goes into practical issues. And that's what he's doing here. He's defending justification by faith alone, practically. And we see in verse 16, that verse that we all know so well. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And that's essentially the main point of our chapter. Walk by the Spirit. Get away from the idea of this works-based salvation. Or justification. Put off the deeds of the flesh. Throw off the yoke of slavery to this. That's what he's dealing with here. You're free in Christ. Don't be enslaved again to the law. Walk by the Spirit. And we then come come to our text and see this strong warning to beware of this biting and devouring within the body of Christ. And he shows us these three exhortations on how to handle conflict with others. And the first exhortation can be seen in verses 13 through 14, and it is simply to walk in love. Look at verses 13 through 14. It says, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in all honesty, that exhortation right there covers everything. If we were to go through all the one another's that we've taught already, and all that we're going to go through, love can cover all of those. If we're truly loving, if we're truly loving our neighbor as ourselves, this whole issue of biting and devouring would be a non-issue. Notice the text says, "...do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh." Now, the word used here for opportunity, it was often used to indicate a central base of military operations. So, what Paul is is telling us here is that the freedom we have in Christ is not to be the base of operations by which we we sin freely against our our fellow brothers and sisters without consequence, launching these attacks on our fellow Christians. No, it shouldn't be this way. Quite the contrary. We're told to walk in love, and to do this, he says, by serving one another. Through love, serve one another. And then later on, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Friends, love kills conflict. It kills conflict. We see a, a similar exhortation from Paul in the book of Corinthians, First Corinthians. I mean, in the church of Corinth, There was infighting going on. They were trying to decide, should I follow this this speaker? He's better than that speaker, and I follow that speaker. Or I have this spiritual gift, and this person has that spiritual gift. Mine is better. So there was all this conflict going on in the church of Corinth. And we get to chapter 13, and Paul begins to delineate love. Now, understand this is in the context of spiritual gifts here, where Paul is delineating these attributes of love. It's in the context of using your spiritual gifts. But on the same token, this, these principles of love that are seen in 1 Corinthians 13 spill over into every area of life, into the Christian life. And as you move forward in your Christian walk, serving one another in love, we should keep these principles in mind. In First Corinthians, it talks about that love is patient. It says love is kind, it rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So in your interaction with your brothers and sisters in Christ, or with anybody for that matter, can these characteristics be said of you? Are you kind? Are you patient? Do you rejoice with the truth? Maybe you come into church and you say, well, that person didn't talk to me today. I'm... I'm upset. How do you respond? you respond in kindness? Or, I wasn't asked to, be, to participate in this ministry when I thought I should have been asked. How do you respond? Are you kind or not? Do you trust in the Lord and take your focus off of yourself? Or do you get jealous? You get angry. You begin to allow these things to, to foment in you. You begin to grumble. A, a wrong was done to you. That's not loving. 1 Corinthians goes on to tell us what love is not like. It says it's not jealous. It does not brag. It's not arrogant. It's not, it does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness. So which of those two groups characterize you better? The group that's characterized by kindness and gentleness or the group that's characterized by anger, being provoked easily, jealousy. Next time you're tempted to be tearing down your brother and sister in the Lord, remember those principles in 1 Corinthians and think about those. Instead of biting and devouring, begin to serve them. If you're serving an individual, no matter how much they are angry with you, if you begin serving them and you begin... Loving them, showing them kindness. As much as it depends on you, that conflict will be stifled. As much as it depends on you. Because you're not responding that way. You're responding in love. But Paul doesn't leave us there just by saying, um, serve one another, walk in love, which is what we should do. He goes on. And he tells us in verse 16 to walk by the Spirit. Well, that makes sense because... There's no way you can truly walk in love unless you're walking in the Spirit. You must be walking by the Spirit to walk truly walk in love. So you want to handle conflict in the church and in your, in your life? Walk by love. Walk in love by serving one another and walk by the Spirit. We see that in verses 15 through 25. That's a huge section there and there's a lot in there. So obviously we won't be able to look at it all, but we'll be looking at it. We hear that often though. We hear that walk by the spirit. As we've said, that's probably many of us, that's probably one of our favorite verses. But what really does that even mean? Is that just a Christian a cliche we hear? Walk by the Spirit. And we are like, okay, great. I'm walking by the Spirit, but you don't really know what that means. What does that look like in the Christian life? It's it's tangible. It's in Scripture. It's something that we can obey. So let's look at the text and see what we're to do here so that we can obey this exhortation. And the text begins by pointing out three things. Three things for us to keep in mind as we strive to walk by the Spirit. First of all, it points out that there's a contrast between the flesh and the Spirit. They're diametrically opposed, verses 15 and 16. Secondly, we need a conduit. So there's a, they're, they're in con, there's a contrast between the two. They're diametrically opposed. And then secondly, we need a conduit. We can't do this on our own. We need some, someone to do this for us, to do this through us. And that's in verse 16. And then third, we see the serious nature of this conflict that's taking place. Paul wants, to take it, wants us to take it seriously. And he shows us that in verse 17. So let's, let's take each of these in turn and just look at them a little bit. First of all, we'll see the contrast. He says in verse 15, And sixteen. But if you if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. But I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Now, right there in those two verses, we see this contrast come out in the verbs they're used. We see these, in verse 15, we see these violent, aggressive, fomenting verbs, and they give a picture of erratic tearing of flesh, this biting and devouring that we mentioned earlier. That's what we see in verse 15 when it's talking about the flesh. But then we see, in verse 16, walk by the Spirit. This consistent, purposeful walk that's focused it's not erratic. There's no fireworks here going all over the place. It's focused. It's a walk. It's consistently walking by the Spirit. Day by day, just the normal life of being a Christian, walking by the Spirit. It's interesting, though, that same word that's used for walk by the Spirit in this text in a positive way is also used in Ephesians 2.2 in a negative way. In Ephesians two two, he says... We were reminded that before Christ saved us, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, in which we formerly walked, according to the course of this world. So that's interesting because that tells us that in our sinful nature, in our lost nature, we were walking purposefully with blinders on, not looking at, any, not concerned with anything of the spirit. We were focused on walking in the flesh, focused on fulfilling our lust of the flesh, just purposefully doing that consistently day by day. That was our nature. But now, we have a new nature. We're to be walking the same way, but not with regard to the flesh, but with regard to the Spirit. And understand this, those who are unsaved and walking according to the flesh, they have no desire for the things of the Spirit. Yet we, as believers at times, are walking by the Spirit in the same way but we still have some desires for the flesh. It shouldn't be the case. We should be walking just as adamantly, just as boldly as they are towards the flesh in the spirit. So, we see that contrast. Now, after we see the contrast between the flesh and the spirit, this difference is completely diametrically opposed, Paul quickly reminds us that we can't do this on our own. He urges us, you can't do this on our own. So we see, we need a conduit to be enabled to walk by the Spirit. In verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Now, you see that conjunction there? By, it says walk by the Spirit. This conjunction, it shouldn't be seen as an indication of proximity. It's not saying walk next to the Spirit. Or walk in you know, close proximity to the Spirit. No. He's saying the Spirit is, the, is the, the means by which you're doing this. You can't do it on your own. You must be walking by means of the Spirit. And that comes out in verse 18 as well. And he says, if you are led by the Spirit. It's the same type of thing. So when we're exhorted to walk by the Spirit, it's indicating that we're unable to do this on our own. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can do this. But, we have to remember, we're also set free from the flesh. We're set free from the law. We're new creatures, so we must be doing this. Yes, we can only do it through the Spirit, but we must be doing this. If we're to deal with conflict in the church, we must be walking by the Spirit. So in verses 15 and 16, he shows us the contrast of walking by the Spirit and walking by the flesh. And then verse 16, he shows that the Holy Spirit's the conduit through whom this happens. And now thirdly, he explains this conflict that's taking place in your heart. He explains it as a war, and it's serious. We're to take it serious. Look at verse 17. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit... Against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. So, here again in this text, we see these these strong words of opposition. The flesh sets its desires against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. You see the the intentional act here. The desires are not just passively tolerant of each other, no, it says they're being set up against each other. It has the idea of a a military action. You have one army over here, one army over here, they're set up against each other and ready for battle. That's the idea. As I was thinking through this, I was thinking of, of Roman military tactics of the day. You see, the entire foundation of the Roman battle tactics was to keep the troops focused on moving in an orderly fashion, close together, moving in unity, You know, most armies of the day, the Visigoths, the Franks, the Vandals, they would just run headlong into battle, screaming, yelling, hoping that they had greater numbers and stronger troops, and just hopefully they won. No plan, no strategy for the most part. That wasn't the case with Rome. No way. They learned early on the benefit of being thoughtful in their strategy. They took into account the type of terrain, the strength of the opponent's troops, the outcome of previous battles. They marched in an orderly fashion. See, what the Romans would do is they would have this whole block of troops, like a big block, and they all had these shields that were about this tall. And the guys in the front line would hold the shields like this as they walked. And the ones behind them would put their shield up above that one. And the ones behind them put it above that one. And the guys on the side would hold their shields like this. And so they're just like this huge tortoise shell moving forward and it's just powerful you know and the, the people are going to try to attack them they're not going to be able to get through and as they're moving forward the roman soldiers soldiers would move their shield and stab and then put the shield back and then before they would even get the infantry up there they would have archers shooting flaming arrows to soften the enemy and then they would send in the cavalry and then finally they'd send in this block of troops and they were just dominant for like a thousand years because of this. They had a strategy. It was amazing. They were intentional. And as we battle against the desires of the flesh, being led by the Spirit, we need to approach the battle the same way. Understanding the tactics of the enemy. Understand who we're going up against. Know the areas where you're you're weakest and fortify those areas. Be intentional in your battle against the flesh. If you just run headlong into battle against the flesh, just screaming, hoping that you're going to win, you're going to lose every single time against the flesh. You have to be intentional. You have to be strategic. And you have to be walking by the Spirit. Now, just as those Roman soldiers had swords and shields, the flesh and the spirit have the same thing. They have these defensive and offensive tools. If we look again at verses 19 through 21, we saw, we see Paul gives a, a clear list of what the flesh uses as it bites and devours. It's its piercing arrows, if you will. This not what the flesh uses. Look at verses um, chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, and we see these weapons of the flesh. Now the deeds of the flesh, or the weapons of the flesh, are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. So here we see several areas of sin that apparently the Galatian church was dealing with. And if we look right in the middle there, in verse 20, Right in the middle, we see eight of these relational or social sins, if you will, that significantly contribute to infighting in the church. It says enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. envying." These are the deeds of the flesh. These are the arrows, the weapons of the flesh. They are used to hurt people, to injure people, to cause harm and pain to people. These are the things we use in our language. And that's a good barometer for us. Just like the the love attributes in 1 Corinthians 13, these are a good barometer. If you're exhibiting these characteristics, you can be sure you're, you're living by the flesh, you're walking by the flesh. So how are you doing? Ask yourself that. And even more, ask a family member. Ask a close family member. Husbands, ask your wife, how am I doing in these areas? Ask your children. Ask your spouse, whatever. Just ask somebody. And here's the thing when they tell you, if they tell you something you don't want to hear, thank them and repent. Don't blow up in anger because then you've just answered your question. You are walking by the flesh. Now, immediately after listing these deeds of the flesh and warning the Galatians that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God, and warning us as well, he goes right into this list of the fruit of the Spirit. So not only does he tell us to to walk by the Spirit, but he tells us what walking by the Spirit looks like. This is what it looks like. These are the things that should characterize the Christian. So a lot of times in Scripture, you read something and you're like, well, I don't know what he means by that. Well, keep reading because a lot of times the author will explain exactly what he's talking about. So these should be the things that we're going to look at right now that you should be carrying in your quiver, as it were. Shoot these at people and see what happens. Shoot the weapons of the Spirit at people. Look at Galatians 5, 22 through 23. It says... But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So these things should characterize your life as a believer. It doesn't matter if you're in the workplace, if you're in the public square, if you're at school or at church. These things should be characteristic of your life. Now, you notice how similar the fruit of the Spirit sounds to the principles of love given in 1 Corinthians. And it makes sense, right? It should make sense. Because when you're walking by the Spirit, you're going to exhibit the characteristics of love. Now, as Paul concludes his argument regarding the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, he wants to encourage us. He reminds us the reality of the war and that although the flesh may win some battles, in reality, the flesh has been crucified, if you're a Christian. He reminds us of that. He says in verse 24, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So that's a great reminder for us that although this battle rages within us, ultimately, the war is won. Christ has won the war for us There's going to be battles that we lose, but the war has been won. And he reminds us of that. He wants to encourage us here. And then once again, he reminds us that if we are truly a Christian, if we're truly one who's alive by the Spirit of Christ, by means of Christ, then we should be characteristic of walking by the Spirit. He says in verse 25 if we live by the Spirit, if we've been saved, we're we're living by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So, just another reminder. This should be characteristic of a believer. Now the final exhortation in our text here to help us keep from biting and devouring one another is to walk in humility. We're to walk in love. We're to walk by the Spirit. And now he tells us in verse 26 to walk in humility. He says, Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another, See, this is a a heart issue. It's a heart issue. When it comes to the the word for boastful there in the text, it indicates one seeking their own glory, as we said already. They're seeking their own glory. They're lifting, they're building their own kingdom. They want to be lifted up. They want to be seen as, as important. It's a prideful heart that wants to be recognized and held in high esteem. Paul says, let us not become boastful. It breeds conflict. It leads to challenging one another, envying one another. And we see that all throughout Scripture. It's not just one passage where we're like, oh, that's novel. It's all throughout Scripture because we're sinful creatures. We see it in Satan. He wants to be higher than God. Adam and Eve wanted to be like God. See, King Saul, he's prideful. He thinks he's this great king, and he's jealous of David. We see it in him. We see it all throughout Scripture. The New Testament warns us against this in several places, but a a wonderful passage that we'll just delineate here before we close is in James James 4, 1 through 10. And we see a whole pericope here regarding conflict. And James starts by telling us why it takes place, and then he tells us how to handle it in our own life. He says in James 4, 1 and 2, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? What's the source? Is it not, is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. These quarrels and conflicts stem from a prideful heart. It thinks it deserves something, and it'll stop at nothing to obtain it. It goes back to the flesh. We're walking by the flesh in these instances. Your heart's full of pride, and that's the source of your biting and devouring. There's nothing attractive or, or, pride, or nothing attractive about a prideful, arrogant individual who's constantly seeking their own glory. We, we, we've all encountered that, and we're like, "Ugh, it's not attractive at all. God hates this. He tells us that in James 4, 6. It says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what's the cure for this prideful heart? What's the cure for this pride, this arrogance? James goes on and he tells us. He says, Submit in chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Then he says this, Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and he will exhort you. So James gives us four things here in dealing with humility. He says, first of all, submit to God. Put yourself under the headship of God. Submit to him and his word. Don't make excuses for not obeying his word. When you find something in the word that you're reading, don't make excuses for not obeying it. Obey it. Now, before you can obey his word, you have to be in the word. You have to make sure you're reading the scripture so you're familiar with the word of God. Be reading the word and then submit yourself to God. Secondly, he says resist the devil. Now, how much of this temptation is your own doing? Probably most of it. We're not one that sees the devil or a demon behind every rock. But nonetheless, every form of evil comes has its source from the evil one. Every, so, every form of evil. He's the father of lies. So flee from anything that's in line with his nature. Flee from it. Resist it and run away from it. So submit to God, resist the devil, and then the text tells us to draw near to God. It, it kind of goes along with the first one, but draw near to God. Be in the word. Be praying. Be drawing near to God. And the wonderful thing is, the text tells us, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. It doesn't say he might. It says he will draw near to you. And then finally, the text tells us to repent. It simply says repent. We see that in our striving against pride, we need to repent. And not just feeling sorry for our sin, but a drastic hatred, a turning away from it as as we turn to God. The text says this. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. That's appropriate for right now, isn't it? Cleanse your hands. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. So the repentance is to both be in action, cleanse your hands, and in motive, purify your hearts. We're to be miserable in our sin. Not, you know, miserable all the time, but miserable in our sin. James tells us to mourn over it, weep over our sinful condition. You're not, woe is me, always walking around, you know, bummed out, but you are to mourn over your sin, to weep over your sin. We're to turn our laughter of sin into mourning and joy into gloom. Don't take sin lightly and laugh about it and say it's no big deal. I'll turn your laughter for sin into mourning and your joy to gloom over sin. That's the context here. If we do this in the power of the Spirit, we'll be humbling ourselves. And that's what we want. The text says, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. So ask yourself, when's the last time you wept over your pride? When's the last time you were broken over your sin? Last time maybe you called somebody from church that maybe you were in a disagreement with or there's, there's been kind of a, a division that maybe it wasn't even spoken, but there's, this, there's just this, it's not the same anymore. Something happened. Something maybe was said. When's the last time you called that person and said, Hey, can you forgive me? I want to I reconcile this relationship. Humble yourself. We, want to, we don't want to allow biting and devouring to begin to fester. And it starts in the heart. So call that person if you're thinking about them right now. Call them and say, hey, forgive me. Let's, let's reconcile. Let's get together for lunch and, and see how we can um, just repair the damage that's been done. If we're ever going to stop biting and devouring in our lives, we need to, to walk in humility. No pride at all. All right, well, this morning we've looked at Galatians 5, 13 through 26, focusing on verse 15. And as we did this, we saw three characteristics from God on how to handle conflicts with other believers so that we're not found to be biting and devouring one another. We saw that we walk in love in verses 13 through 14. And we do this through serving one another. And we saw the characteristics of love and what love looks like and what it doesn't look like. We're to be walking in love, biblical Love. Secondly, in verses 16 through 25, we're to walk in the Spirit. The flesh and the Spirit, we saw, are diametrically opposed. And Christians are Spirit-controlled, or they should be. We should be walking by means of the Spirit. Spirit's the conduit by which we do this. And we saw that walking in the Spirit is this consistent, it's this progressive, moving forward, this purposeful walk. And we saw that it's a war a battle, and we need to take it seriously. And then we saw that we're to walk in humility in verse 26. Pride is going to cause conflict. We saw that God hates pride, and the, the key is to submit to God, to resist the devil, to draw near to God, and to repent of our sin. I just pray that each one of us would be considering this as we, we move forward. We want to love one another. We want to be those who... Uh, it can be said well of that we love each other and we love Christ. We want to show that in the body. Galatians 5.15, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, once again for this text. Thank you for uh, loving us for saving us when we didn't deserve to be saved, when we didn't want to be saved. We were running away from you as fast as we could. Yet you got a hold of us, you transformed our hearts, and you drew us to yourself. And we were born again, Lord. Thank you for that. And as we interact with our fellow believers at church, help us to to love them, help us to serve one another, and not to be found biting and devouring. And if we are, that we would stop and understand that This isn't characteristic of a believer. Father, we don't want to be doing this. We want to show love. Uh, We we just uh, thank you for the service now. We ask that you would uh, watch over us as we leave here today, and for those who are watching, that you be with them, help them to have a, a blessed day as they spend time with their family. It's in Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon presented at Maranatha Bible Church in Comstock Park, Michigan where we exist to display God's glory, declare God's truth, delight in God's Son, and disciple God's people. No part of this digital file may be reproduced or distributed without prior written consent. For permission, go to mbcmi.org.